We're going to go ahead and get through whatever we got to get through. We're going to be well. We're going to be strong and courageous. And then when the world needs us, we're going to be standing strong. Hey, it doesn't seem like we're much right now, but when we get through this, how many know we're going to be better than when we started? And when the world comes a calling and a crying in desperation, all the confusion, they're going to look for a place. And how many know there's a place at 1320 South Oak Grove Avenue? They can come and they can find the sweet presence of the Lord. The power of Jesus' name. And miracles are going to happen. We're going to see, we're going to see God do some incredible things. You say, Pastor, you are insanely optimistic. Or just insane. No, not really. If they can be unashamedly crazy as they are in this world, how many know I can be not ashamed of Jesus? I can speak up for him. Amen. Go ahead and give the Lord praise. If they can speak up. For the enemy, I can speak up for the Lord. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Please stand up and speak up in this last day. Don't be ashamed. The Lord said, if you be ashamed of me in the last days, I'll be ashamed of you in the presence of my Father. So, uh, so, Oak Grove, we're going to be strong and courageous, and we're going to make it through. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, we're going to make it. We're going to make it. It's, uh, it's, it's quite a trying time we live in. Jake and Joanna Nichols and Caden and little Livy and Sammy. They are our family. They are our family. Been with us a long time. I don't know where they are. They must be getting ready. There they are. Come on up here. Come on up here. And uh, Jake and uh, Joanna have served on our board. They've served on our staff. They have uh, been friends a long time. Love you a long time. Love you a long time. <laughs> and uh, you know them. They're no strangers. This was supposed to be their last Sunday. And the visas got a little twisted on the visa time for those of you at home, just so you can see that uh, they were planning to leave tomorrow. Tomorrow. This is going to be their last service. And, and so, uh, but it delayed them a week. But this is our family. We love them. They're going to talk to you uh, about the theme of their, of their whole itineration. And I got to tell you, Pastor, before I give it over to you and Joanna, that we're so proud of you in the middle of COVID, in the middle of a trying, trying time. Don't tell me God can't do a miracle. They are a miracle in our midst. God bless you, Pastor. Take over. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Oh, my goodness. It's good to be in Oak Grove. We have been traveling all over the place, um, going from church to church to church. And uh, you know the... The greatest thing about all of it is we've been able to tell how great our God is. Yeah. Amen. We serve a great God and he loves all of us and he cares for each of us and he has a plan for each of our lives. So we cannot let things come against us. We cannot let things stand against what God has called us to do. Yeah. You see, we, we serve in a country of Thailand and we're missionaries to Thailand and there's two competing lies in Thailand. The first one is in Buddhism. And Buddhism says that you follow the eightfold path of Buddha and you'll reach enlightenment. And enlightenment is the place that you want to be. But the lie is that you have to do it all. You have to follow that path. You have to get enough good merit to outweigh your bad merit. You have to do everything that you can to follow everything that the temple in Thailand tells you you have to do. Now, the second thing, the second lie is that of Islam. And Islam has five pillars. And those five pillars are how you're supposed to live your life. 
They tell you when you are supposed to pray. They tell you what you're supposed to do with your money. They tell you everything. But again, the lie is that it's all about you. You do everything that you possibly can do to follow exactly what the Quran says. You do exactly what the prophet Muhammad said. And by chance, maybe you might please God. But it's all about you. It's all about what you can do. It's all about your strength and how close you can get yourself to God. Now, there's a third lie. And that third lie comes from the great country of the United States of America. That lie says that you live your whole life trying to live your best life. And in living your best life, you try to have the nicest car, the nicest house, that you're trying to bring glory to yourself. You're trying to live a life that is impressive, that will impress others. You're trying to keep up with the Joneses. You know, see, there is one way, and his name is Jesus. There is one way by way a man can be saved, and his name is Jesus. Jesus, because wide is the path that leads to destruction, but narrow is the way that leads to life, and life abundant. We serve a God that loves us, that doesn't put a burden on us too heavy for us to carry. He took it upon himself, and his name is Jesus. Amen. You see, I grew up in a family that the idea of the American way was everything. You do everything you can. You work as hard as you can. There's nothing wrong with working hard. But the idea is that you work hard for yourself. You work hard to build yourself up. You work hard to have the biggest house, the better house than somebody else. And way that that played out in my life was before I was in seventh grade, I had gone to nine different schools. What that looked like for my mom and my dad is they had a relationship of brokenness. My dad cheated on the, my mom from the time I was newborn all the way up until I was 13 years old when my parents finally divorced. It was painful. That path is a path of the destruction. You see, the wages of sin is death. Death is not just eternal damnation. It's separation from life and life abundant that God wants to give to you. It's separation from the, from the life in your finances. It's separation from life in your relationships. It's separation from life that God has so ordained for you. We have an opportunity, but we also have a burden because God gave us all of these things so that we might be a blessing to others. We want to bless God and bring others to do the same. And what the American way says is you bless yourself and that's all you do. And so that brings pain. In my family, there was pain and destruction. And in my brother, he was trying to get away from that pain and became addicted to methamphetamines. It was horrible, absolutely horrible. So at 13 years old, my parents divorced. They divorced and we moved to a small town called Lawson, Missouri. And when my mom and I moved to Lawson, Missouri, it's hard to make friends in a small town. It's hard to get to know people. 
in this town because what was happening is people would go to first grade, second grade, third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, all together. They had their own same likes, their same dislikes. It's hard to get to know people in that situation. But when we moved into Lawson, we moved into this small house and I had this neighbor couple that lived next to me. Their names were Tom and Gloria Gilkey. They were a fantastic couple. They loved and cared about me. And you know how I know is because Gloria would come over with plates of chocolate chip cookies. Now, if you feed a teenage boy, he becomes your best friend for life. Amen. That's absolutely right. Absolutely. And so Gloria would bring me chocolate chip cookies and Tom would come over and say, hey, I was the man of the house. So I was trying to take care of the yard and doing everything that I knew how to do. And he would come over and say, Hey, try to do this with your yard and, and help me learn how to mow better. And he would come over and try to do, do this and try this and try that. But this couple, they loved me and they cared about me, but it left me with a question. Why? You see, everything I had been taught was all about what you do for yourself. And so I saw people that were giving to me, even though that I had nothing to give to them. They would not want me to mow their their yard. They would not want me to try to bake chocolate chip cookies. They would not want me to do that. (laughs) But they loved and cared enough about me that they kept investing. They kept reaching their hand out. They kept loving me and caring about me. And it left me with a question, why? Why do these people that I have nothing to give want to give anything to me? Fast forward a little bit and I had joined the football team because it was a good idea to join the football team to make friends in a small town. I had joined the football team and I came to my very first game. I had been working out and and sweating and bleeding and throwing up everywhere as you do in football. It was awesome. Football is so much fun. (laughs) And we come to our very first game. We had worked very hard. We had done everything that we were supposed to do. And um, right before the the kickoff of the game, I heard somebody behind me. He said, Jake. And I said, what? They said, we have to go right now. My Uncle Rusty, who's sitting right here, he said, we have to get in the car and we have to leave right now. And I said, okay, let's go. We left. And on the way home, he said, before anybody else tells you, I needed to tell you this. He said, your house is on fire. You see, when my mom and I moved into this small town, she started managing the bar and I started washing dishes in the back of the bar and we brought our money together and we bought this house. And this house, because I worked for it, was supposed to be my house. You see, I was taught that what you work for, you keep. What you work for is yours. Nobody can take it away from you. And this house I had worked for and I had gone after and I had done everything that I was supposed to do to have this house. And I found out that it's on fire. That was devastating to me. That place of stability was gone. And I knew that I had no control over it. So we started going to school. And while we were going to school, we had this group of kids that I had met. They were the nicest kids in the whole school. They cared about me. They wanted me to sit with them at lunch. They wanted me to be around them all of the time. They found out that my house had burnt down and they brought trash bags full of clothes to school. These kids loved me. They cared about me. They wanted me to be around them and I had nothing to give them. I did not have an Xbox. I did not have a four-wheeler. I would not want them to come over to my house. 
but they wanted me to be with them. And so I was with them all the time. I was with them so much. It came to a Wednesday night and I was hanging out at their house and they said, Hey, you know, we are getting ready to go somewhere. So we can't stay here. You can't stay here. Um, but if you'd like to go with us, you can go with us. And I said, I'll go wherever they're going. I want to go. And I said, well, what, where are we going? And they said, we're going to youth group. And I said, all right, let's go. So we went to youth group and I walked in the doors of this small church in Lawson, Missouri. And as I walked through the doors, there was a youth pastor and there was youth leaders and there was a pastor and there were people in that building that loved me and cared about me and wanted me to be there. All of these people were in this church. They cared about me. They all wanted me to be there. Tom and Gloria Gilkey were there. The youth pastors wanted me to come over to their house and play video games with them and do crazy things that youth pastors do, like smash eggs on heads, just anything. God uses every member of the body. And so I started going to youth group and I loved it. I love being there. These people love me. They cared about me. I was hanging out on one Wednesday and I had the youth pastor. He came up to me and he said, Hey, we're going to start this thing called teen Bible quiz. And I said, okay, well, what is that? And they said, well, we read a book and then we ask you questions out of the book. And then we see how well you did. Now, what does that sound like? School. Absolutely. He got it. Nail on the head. Sounded like school. Doesn't sound like something you want to do when you've gone and done school. And, you know, so I said, yes, I'll go. <laughs> so I got into teen Bible quiz and they said, we are reading from first Corinthians and we're at verse or chapter 12 and we're at verse 12. So I sat down, they gave me a Bible and they said, Hey, we want you to read with us. We're going to read this together. And if all you all have your Bibles, please open it. Go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. And this is what it says. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of the one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. The foot should say, because I am not a hand and do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. There, there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all, do all work miracles, do all possess gifts of healing, do all speak in tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you the still more excellent way. And we got done. We closed the Bible. 
And I had absolutely no idea what we had just read. I had no idea what any of that meant. I had no idea what, how any of that would apply to my life. But then they said, we're going to do this. We're going to pray over these scriptures and ask God to teach us what he wants us to know. So if you would bow your head, close your eyes. We're going to pray together. Lord God, allow this word to come alive in me. Speak to me, Lord Jesus, and tell me what you want me to know, Lord God. Teach me what you meant when you had these words written, Lord God. Teach me, Lord Jesus. And speak to me, Lord God, and teach me how to apply this to my life. In Jesus' name, amen. And immediately, the Spirit spoke to me, and he said, I have an answer for all of the questions that you have. The reason why these people love you, the reason why these people in this church care about you, the reason why they want to have anything to do with you is because I love you and I care about you and I want everything to do with you because I am the God that put this church here to reach out to you. You see... Tom and Gloria Gilkey were a hand reaching out. The youth pastor and the pastor and the leaders in the church were like arms wrapping around me. And the members of the church were like feet chasing after me because God has so composed the body, given greater honor to the part that lacked it. You are members of this one body. Amen. We are members of one body and his name is Christ. He is the head. We are the body. God moves in our lives that we move to reach other peoples. You see, our goal in life is not to have the biggest house, is not to have the best life now. Our goal in life is to go out, glorify God and bring others to do the same. And how we do that is through the church. Amen. We do that through the church because we are one body, many parts. God has so composed the body. Praise God for that. You see, after I got done reading this and hearing God speak, for me, it was enough. It is enough because our lives need a savior. We need a savior and his name is Jesus. You see, this church fulfilled what God had told them to do. And my life was changed because of it. I follow Jesus because of a church just like this one. You are my church. I love you and I care about you and you love me and care about me. Because God loves you and God loves me. Amen. We serve. In Thailand, not on our own. We serve with you. We serve because of you. We serve together because we are members of the body of Christ. Amen. I don't know about you, but I'm glad I don't have to do it on my own. I'm glad it's not up to me. I don't have to figure out if I can be perfect enough or follow all the tenets or make my own path or figure out my own way because there's one way. I'm so glad. And I don't have time to tell you my entire testimony this morning, but most of you know, most of you know me and have heard it enough before. But when I was young, at about 13, 14 years old, I fell into an abusive relationship. And I struggled all throughout my teen and early adult years, falling into abuse and human trafficking 
and a lot of struggles that really left me broken. And when I, God rescued me and he brought me out of that. And I went to a program in Kansas City for, for two years and it was a program to help for survivors of domestic violence and human trafficking. And I came out of that program. I had a 10 month old baby on my hip. Most of you know him. He's bigger than his mama now. <laughs> and I walked into a church much like this one. And they came alongside of me and they wrapped their arms around me and they walked with me towards restoration. And I did not have it all together. I had a bad habits and rough edges and a lot of things to work out and a lot of difficulties to work through. But they did it with me. They were beside me. They discipled me. They encouraged me. They answered my phone calls in the middle of the night. They were patient with me and they loved me. And because of that, my life was changed. And I remember sitting through two years of, of support group with the group that I was in and, and the ladies around the table, and we would meet together every week. And some of the ladies that were sitting around the table, they'd been in this support group for 10, 11, 12 years. And I remember thinking, as I was listening to them speak about their struggles, they had been in another bad relationship, another failed marriage, another abusive situation, and another struggle. And, and it seemed like they were just going in the same circle, the same thing, trying to figure out their own way. And we do that, don't we? We, we try to find our own way. We try to do it our own way. And we just keep falling and failing. And I remember thinking to myself, sitting, listening to one of their stories one day, I remember thinking to myself, Lord, I don't want to be doing this in 11 years. I don't want to keep circling the same mountain. What's the difference? And it was Jesus. Because there's only one way. And the difference was that I had a support system that these ladies hadn't encountered yet. I had a church that I could go to that would lead me to the way that would continue to pour the word of God into me and encourage me and mentor me and shape me. And this church was a big part of that, <laughs> has been a big part of that because we're one body, many parts. Amen. And so for us, that's the reason God has put this passion in our heart. He's given us this calling to go to Thailand and to plant the body of Christ, the people of God amongst the nation where so many have never even heard his name. And I believe that they deserve to have the same hope that we found. They deserve to have the nicest kids at school and the neighbor next door who's going to reach out to them. And they deserve to have the the, the teacher at school who's going to invest in them and the, and the school bus driver who's going to pray over them every day. They deserve to have that just like we did. There's a, an Asia Pacific um, video that we share once in a while. And in that, it says there are still 70,000 communities in Thailand that have never heard the name of God. 70,000 communities. And that's just not like 
they haven't heard recently or it's been a while. That's like from the time Jesus gave the great commission and he said, go unto all the world and preach the gospel. Since the time Jesus himself spoke that words, they're still waiting. They are still waiting. And they've waited long enough. Amen. So God has given us this passion to see the communities of Thailand changed, that we could go and that we could plant the church, that we could go and that we could disciple and train up the pastors who can go out and be in these 70,000 communities that still haven't heard. That's our heart. And I want to close out with, with a story as we were starting in our, in our first term, you know, we started language study and we started learning Thai and, um, it's really hard. <laughs> if you want to feel like you went to kindergarten and just started all the way over, that's what it feels like. You don't know anything. You're starting from scratch. And we were doing this week after week. We have a Thai tutor that would come to our house and she would come on Monday and Wednesday and she would teach us out of the book. Um, Thai language. And then on Friday, she would take us out into the community and we would practice what we've learned. And so our faithful God had opened up a door into several Muslim communities for us to serve. And we'd been teaching English in the library of a mosque in one community. And so it only made sense to us that if we're going to go out into the community and practice our language, we're going to go to those communities where we've started building those relationships and people have started to know us and, and we can continue to develop those relationships as we're practicing. And so um, we had come up on a Friday. It was time to go out and practice our language. And I was just feeling kind of weary with it. Like, what's the point? I've been at this forever. It's going way slower than I want it to. I don't really feel like talking about fruits and vegetables at the market and listing out the few questions that I know how to ask, like, you know, how many people are in your family and what do you do for a living? And that's where my language level was. And I just was like, I don't want to do this, Lord. What's the point? I came here to share the gospel. I came here so people would know Jesus and that's what I want to do. But my language just isn't there yet. I was feeling kind of discouraged. So I sat down on the end of the bed and I was talking to the Lord about it. And like a good father, he said, Joe, just get your shoes on. <laughs> I said, okay, Lord. He's very much the father and I'm very much the daughter most of the time. And so I said, okay, Lord, I'll put my shoes on. So my Thai tutor, she shows up. Now my Thai tutor is a rare thing in Thailand. She is a second-generation Christian. The Assemblies of God in Thailand just celebrated their 50-year anniversary. Hallelujah. 50 years. That's all. So a second-generation Christian is a big deal. So for 20 years of her life, she's been serving the Lord. But her family came from a Buddhist background. They were Buddhist before. Well, we were going out to practice in a Muslim community today. And my Thai teacher, she tells me, in all of her years of life in Thailand, she's never been in a Muslim community. She's never spoken to a Muslim person. Her own neighbors, she's never been in a Muslim restaurant. She's never encountered them. 
because everything is so so separated in Thailand. If you know the each each religion, they have their own everything, their own schools, their own restaurants, their own communities to live in, and everything. And she had never done that before. So when I told her where we were going for the day, she wasn't super happy with me, <laughs> and she said something in something in the in the way of. You know, I think God just makes missionaries a little bit crazy, so they'll just do things they shouldn't do. <laughs> and I said, you might be right, but <laughs> we're going to do it anyway, because these are the people that the Lord has opened the door for us to minister to, and this is where he's called us to go. So she went, very nervous and a little reluctant, she went with us. And as we headed into the community that we had been working in, we came upon the library where we'd been teaching, and there was a big banner on the side of the library that hadn't been there before. And it was a map of the community. And so we stopped, and we're looking at the map, and we're looking at all the different places, and we're like, yeah, we've been here, we've been there. You know, we know, we know what these things are. But there was one place on the map that we didn't recognize. And it looked kind of like um, a park or a garden or something like that. And so right about that time, um, the librarian from the library, she was getting off her shift and she was coming out. Her name is Bia. And she came out of the library and she said, oh, my friends, what are you doing here? Like, what are you doing today? It's not your day to teach. And so we told her, you know, we're out practicing our Thai language today. We're trying to learn and develop our language. And this is our teacher. And this is what we're doing. And and um, I asked her, I said, Bia, we're looking at this map, and there's one thing on the map that we don't recognize. And she said, oh, that's the cemetery. And I said, oh, it hadn't even dawned on me because Thailand as a whole is Buddhist. The government is Buddhist, and um, in Buddhism, they generally cremate their loved ones. And so we had ever seen a cemetery in Thailand before. And so she said, yeah, this is a really sacred place in our community. And I want to show it to you. And, I, and I'm going to go by there on my way home. So come with me. I'm like, okay. Headed to the cemetery. You can imagine what my Thai teacher was thinking at this point. She was already reluctant to go with us. But we arrived at the cemetery. And as we walked in the gates, Bia started to just open up and share her life with us. And she talked about Here's where my mother and my father are buried. Here's where my husband is buried. And Bia had never been able to have kids of her own. And so with most of her family past, she was feeling very much alone in life. And she was feeling a very heavy pressure on her because she was the only member left in her family to advocate to Allah, to allow her family to get into heaven. All the pressure was on her shoulders. And she started crying and she started telling me, I am so poor. I'll never get my family into heaven. We will never make it. And I asked her, I said, Bia, I don't understand. What does being poor have to do with getting into heaven? And she said, well, the Quran says I need to give so much money to the mosque and I need to give so much money to the orphan and the poor and so much money to my community to help develop and, and build up my community. And I need to do all these things. And I only have enough money to even eat one meal a day and pay my bills. 
and I can't meet all the requirements. And then she said, and I, and I, I'm never going to make it because I'm supposed to go to the mosque this many times a day to pray, but I have to work in order to eat one meal a day. So sometimes I miss a few times of prayer and I only make it maybe two or three times a day. And all of these things she started explaining this heavy weight that was on her shoulders. And she said, every day I'm passing by here and passing by the cemetery and I'm calling out to Allah and I'm, I'm asking and I'm begging him, pleading him, please let my family in. I don't know what else to do. I can't do any more than I'm doing. My heart just broke. How much have I taken for granted the security I have in Christ Jesus? When, the old, when you read throughout the scripture and it talks about the burden and the weight of false religion, this is what it's talking about. The burden she wasn't meant to carry. She has to make it. She has to do it. She has to get her family in. She has to meet all these requirements. And she was so weighed down with that. And the way she described it was sort of like a scale. See, I've done these bad things. I didn't make it to prayer enough time. I didn't give enough money. I didn't do this. And all these bad things are weighing, weighing me down. And, and now I need to do all these good things to try to tip the scale back in my favor. But I can't see the scale. And I have no idea if I've even begun to get it in, on my side. And I thought, wow. Because every day I get up. I know that if this is my last day on earth, I know exactly where I'm going to be tomorrow. Exactly where I'm going to be tomorrow, without hesitation. She's never known that. She's carrying such a weight. You have to toil all on your own. You have to do it all on your own. You have to figure it all out. That's not really a foreign concept to us, though, is it? Figure it out. Work harder. Do better. Earn more. We kind of feel that way sometimes. But it was our honor and our privilege that day with our Thai tutor, scared as she was, to translate the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and to tell Bia that Jesus Christ came to remove the scale. Amen. See, because now when Father God, when he looks down at me, he doesn't see how many goods and how many bads and how many rights and how many wrongs and if I've evened it all out. He just looks down at me and he sees the blood of his son, Jesus, and that's enough. That's enough. I am covered in Christ Jesus. And you could almost see the, the weight lifting off of her shoulders. She said, nobody's ever told me that before. I thought Jesus was just a teacher. I didn't know he was the son of God. I didn't know that he could save me. That day, Bia got the pleasure of meeting Jesus in the cemetery. <laughs> because our God is faithful. And that's not a burden you were meant to carry. That's not a burden I was meant to carry. He died so we wouldn't have to. I can't get over that.
I can't be grateful enough for that. I can't ever stop realizing how much security and hope and peace, something they, they've never even experienced. In the Thai language, they don't even have a word for peace. There isn't one. There's a word that describes quietness or stillness, like in nature or something. In inner peace, internal peace, they don't have a word in their language for that because they don't have Jesus. And so at the end of that day, we headed out of the Muslim community or getting ready to head home. And Bia had met Jesus. And as we were leaving the gates of the community, getting a taxi with our teacher, she was already on the phone with her sister. I went to a Muslim community today. I talked to a Muslim person and you're not going to believe it. She wasn't angry with me. She didn't yell at me. We told her about Jesus. It was incredible. See, my Thai teacher learned that all she needed to do was put her shoes on too. Sometimes we just overcomplicate everything because we think that our language ability is going to hinder God. And we think that our cultural differences are going to hinder God, but they don't because there isn't a limitation, a border, a law, a rule, a disease, a sickness, anything that hinders the Lord. Nothing holds him back. So I got home at the end of the day and I took off my shoes. I sat on my bed and I wrote on a note card, put your shoes on. I stuck it up on my wall. Because it's all about the one person who needed me to put my shoes on that day. And it's all about the one person who need to be discipled, who needed to see that she can do evangelism. All she's got to do is put her shoes on. All we got to do is get our shoes on and show up. If we show up, he will surely meet us there. He's the one who sets the divine appointments. He's the one by the power of his Holy Spirit who gives us the words to say. I don't mean to say we don't need to study to show ourselves approved. We have to be full, overflowing, and ready with the word of God. We have to be led by the Spirit. But he's the one. He's the one who does all of the appointment setting. He's the one who surpasses every weakness and limitation that I have. And that's what you all do. You put your shoes on. I learned how to put my shoes on in this house. (laughs) Because we put our shoes on and we go over to Cedarbrook and knock on doors and pray for people in the mobile home park. And we did VBS in the middle of the mobile home park. Go to them. It's okay. How did we do it? With a Bible degree? Theology degree? No. We did it with hot dogs and face paint and some balloons. (laughs) And people were reached for the kingdom when we show up, when we put our shoes on and we show up. Romans 10.15 says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. And right before that in Romans, it says, How will they know if we don't tell them? And how will we tell them if you don't send? And that's what putting your shoes on is all about. When you guys do faith promise, it's not about just dropping some money in the bucket and praying, okay, God, use it. 
You're putting your shoes on. You're meeting with B.A. in the cemetery today. You're meeting with Mata T., my Thai teacher, and, and helping her understand that evangelism is something that she can do. You're putting your shoes on. That's what this church is all about. And it blesses me. It blesses my heart. And I'm so thankful because God is using you. And I know you guys are praying with us in your finances, in your prayer support, in your encouragement. The last term, I cannot, I cannot even say to you how God used you to minister us, to us. In the middle of the night, I'd have an email. The Lord woke me up and I prayed for you today. So many times when we needed encouragement, so many times when the Lord had you praying for us. Because we're one body, many parts. And pastor always tells us, you go into the pit and we'll hold the rope. And that's how the body of Christ was designed. That's what we were meant to do. That's how he wanted it to work. And, you know, there is the bottom three provinces in Thailand that have never, ever had one church. Three provinces looks like counties here. So like three whole counties that have never even had one church. They've never had a missionary and a pastor. They've never had anything. And just in our last term, Jake and our one of our leaders, Alan, you guys have met Alan, they took the train down into that bottom three, and they were the very first missionaries to ever even walk their feet in the bottom three provinces of Thailand. It's a hard area. It's a little more radical. It's a little more strict. There's challenges. But what did we just learn? And what have we learned so many times before? There are no limits to the Lord. He opens every door. He makes every way. He orders our steps ahead of us. And that's what we're praying. And that's what we're believing. This term, this term, we will see the church of God planted in the bottom three. In Jesus' name, we'll see it. Because God can make a way. And because we're going to put our shoes on. And y'all are going to put your shoes on. And we're going to do it together. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Get your family, please, and bring us up here. And the the worship team's coming back as well.